Hello everyone, it's really wonderful to be with you together today. Thank you for joining us online. If you're joining us for the first time, this is a the third part of our new series that we're starting in 2 Timothy chapter. And today we're in chapter 2 and we've called our series For the Sake of the Gospel because these are instructions that Paul has given to Timothy to help him as he's pastoring a church in Ephesus and they are given to him so that the gospel will advance in the area that he's in. So yeah, just remember Tim, he is a young leader in, in Ephesus. Paul is his mentor, it's his father in the faith. Paul is under house arrest in Rome and he's written this letter to him. And so last week, Roland took us through the first half of 1 Timothy chapter 2. Today, we're going to pick up the second half of that chapter. And what we're going to find is in this, in this half of the chapter, Paul begins to deal with some people in Ephesus who are giving Timothy a hard time. They're beginning to, to teach things that aren't right, that aren't godly. And, and Timothy is having to deal with these opposing ideas, these opposing arguments that are being brought against him. And so... Paul writes this half of the chapter to help him and to guide him through that. And we're going to see that the passage is set up in three sets of threes. There are three different descriptions of the problem. There are three reasons given why it's dangerous. And then there are three responses given to Timothy, offered to Timothy to help him as he navigates his way through this challenge. So let's read it through together so we can get the full picture. And then we'll go through it verse by verse and we'll see how Paul develops this thinking and how that's going to be helpful for us. 2 Timothy chapter 2 from verses 14 to the end. Keep reminding God's people about these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and it only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, The Lord knows who are His, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some are for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Flee from evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Do not have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know that they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil, who has taken them captive to do his will. Right, that's 2 Timothy chapter 2, halfway to the end. You get the general drift. Let's dig into it now. Let's take it verse by verse. And we're just going to go through it and we're going to see what Paul has to say. So let's start right at the top. Verse 14. Keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and it only ruins those who listen. Here's Paul's first instruction to Timothy is to keep reminding God's people about what Roland preached about last week. Right? Reminding people that they are to serve God with the single-minded devotion of the soldier, the submission of the athlete, the work ethic of the farmer. Reminding them of the gospel, reminding them of the hope that they have in the faithfulness of God. 
Keep reminding God's people of these things, Paul says. So I remind you, go back, watch Roland's message from last week. Go back, read the first half of 2 Timothy chapter 2. Remind yourself of what God has said. But now Paul launches into his first exhortation for Timothy and the theme for the section that is to follow. This, this statement is like his thesis statement for his essay, for those of you humanities students out there like me. Right? It says, Timothy, warn God's people against quarreling about words. There it is. The phrase quarreling about words refers to those discussions of speculation or inquiry that have slid into the range of debates and disagreements and then they've degenerated to the point where people begin to split hairs now. Now we're beginning to fight over the meaning of certain words. It's, it is the point of the, at which the argument has become so technical that you're as likely to confuse someone as you are to convince them. When the debate or the discussion degenerates to this point, and neither side is willing to give ground. When each participant is just beginning to argue even harder and in more and more complex ways against the other. That, Paul says, is when we need to call it. It's no longer helpful. It's no longer beneficial to anyone. And it's here that Paul shares the first of his three reasons for us. Right? Number one, he actually shares the first two of his three reasons for us, right up front in the beginning. He says, these discussions, they no longer have value. Once they get to this point, there's no value in them anymore. This is not to say they never had value or that it was pointless to engage in meaningful discussion. But it is to say that when an argument, when a disagreement reaches this point where we're now beginning to split hairs with one another, we're arguing over the meanings of different words. He says, it's no longer going to have a valuable result. It needs to be brought to an end. Secondly, he says, and this reason is a lot more powerful. Not only does it not have any more value, but it actually has the potential to ruin the faith of some people. It has the potential to ruin the faith of those who engage in it and who might listen to it. Paul's idea here is that these disagreements have the power to cause serious damage to the faith of those who hear them. And he doesn't explain this for us, but let me suggest two ways in which this could happen. Right, firstly, sometimes we can be powerfully persuasive and still sincerely wrong. Uh, when someone misunderstands the truth, and we'll see Paul illustrate this later, and they argue that wrong understanding powerfully and persuasively, they can convince others and they can lead them astray as well. Uh, this is the danger of false teaching. This is the danger of the internet, which you guys are watching this on, which is kind of ironic. right? But please be very careful about what you listen to on the internet, because people can be very persuasive but they can still be very wrong. Secondly, when Christians get passionate, godliness can sometimes be left behind. This is, this is very sad. I've seen this happen so often. When our emotions get going, when people begin to say things that irk us, that we strongly disagree with, and we can begin to say things and act towards others that can actually be really sinful. But because we're so passionate, about what's happening. We think that we're justified in everything that we say. And the wake of our passion leaves a trail of damaged relationships that we often don't go back and mend because we value our perceived righteousness over the relationship with our brother or our sister. Stop fighting over words. Such arguments are useless and they can ruin the faith of those who hear them. Verse 15, 
Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Here in verse 15, having called Timothy to warn the church, Paul now shifts his attention to Timothy himself. This is the first of the three responses that Paul is going to call out of Timothy in order to deal with these people who are bringing divergent thinking into the church. In response to people developing long and convoluted arguments about words, you, Timothy, need to make sure that you are a leader who correctly handles the word of truth. And if you do this, you can be encouraged to know that you will receive God's approval and that you will not need to be ashamed. The phrase, correctly handling the word of truth, brings a focus to the more general instructions that we see earlier in the verse, to present himself before God as one unashamed. In essence, the first response Paul calls out of Timothy in light of the concern of people spreading dangerous arguments within the church is to make sure that he understands the scriptures as well as possible. This is his calling as a leader, and it should be one that we all aspire to as well. Learning to read the Bible and understand it correctly is one of the most helpful and important skills any Christian can develop. And there are many ways that you can grow in this, which we won't have time to explain and unpack today because that's not what this is about. But here are a few very quick suggestions. Buy a study Bible. Just, just do it. Buy a study Bible. The ESV study Bible is good. The NLT study Bible is good. If you want other recommendations, talk to people that you know. Come chat to us. Get a study Bible. It's a great start. It's an investment that you will not regret. Then, when you read your Bible, don't just read devotionals. Devotionals can be great. They can be helpful, but they will not teach you how to understand the scripture in its context. Read whole books. Read books of the Bible in their entirety. Don't have to be in one sitting, but just read your way through the book of John. Read your way through the book of Isaiah. Read whole books. And if you find something confusing, reread the preceding and the proceeding paragraphs. Then reread the preceding and proceeding chapters. Look for ideas that are similar, concepts that, that link together, and you'll begin to see more. If you bought the study Bible, go and read in the study Bible, and it will help you understand. As a pastor, ask one of us. We'd love to help. It's nothing we enjoy more than getting a message to say, Hey Brad, I'm wrestling with this piece of scripture. Can you help me? What, what is, how do you understand it? We love, to, we love those conversations. We'd love to help. Buy a great resource. There are so many available to us today. Here, here's one by Gordon Fee. It's called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. There's a link in the description below. Great book. Get a hold of it. It'll help you understand the scriptures. Correctly handle the word of truth. Let's move on. Verse 16. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Here in verse 16, we get the second description, and we get the final reason. Right, the first description Paul used was quarreling about words. Here in verse 16, he expands that, and he says, not just quarreling about words, also godless chatter. It's quite an interesting phrase because it's designed to completely devalue the conversation that's in view. By combining the words godless and chatter together, Paul not only classifies this particular line of thinking as worldly, but as worldly reasoning that's not worthy of being used as argument. It's, it's just chatter. It's just noise. It's loud, but it's empty. There's no substance to it. Essentially, Paul's instruction here is for Timothy to avoid the empty reasoning of the world in matters of faith. It's not saying that all human reasoning is useless. 
but that human reasoning is unable to fully and accurately articulate and explain matters of faith. This has strong links to what Paul has already said to the Corinthians, for instance. He says, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world, the reasoning of the world, the thinking of the world? This is what we speak, he says, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but words taught by the Spirit, which explains spiritual realities using Spirit-taught words. To understand things that are spiritual, you need the Spirit to help you. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. The weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Human reasoning is insufficient to be able to understand God. When it comes to matters of faith, Timothy and by implication us need to know that they are decided by spiritual wisdom. For Timothy, that was the teaching he'd received from Paul and it was the Old Testament. For us, it is the fullness of the scriptures. So that's Paul's second description of these opposing ideas. First, he was quarreling about words. Secondly, it's not godless chatter or godless reasoning. But in verse 16, we also get our third reason for avoiding this kind of engagement is because those who indulge in it become more and more ungodly. First, it has no value. Second, it damages the faith of others. And third, if you begin to dig into it, you will, become, you will move deeper and deeper into ungodliness. Do not engage in godless reasoning, Paul says. Because to do so will be, lead you to become more and more ungodly. This is the opposite. It's the flip side of Romans 12 too. This is what happens when you don't conform. When you, sorry, when you do conform to the pattern of this world. Instead of being transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is what happens when you don't demolish arguments and pretensions that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 10. But instead allow yourself to assimilate them. And for them to become a part of your own thinking. Friends, this is happening more and more and more to the church at the moment. You just need to spend five minutes on YouTube browsing content by progressive Christians to discover that according to them, Jesus was racist. Homosexuality is good. The gospel is really just about rediscovering your true self. This is what happens when we choose to accept the philosophies of the world and we use them to interpret scripture. Avoid godless chatter those who indulge in it become more and more ungodly. Verses 17 and 18. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have departed from the truth. They say the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. Paul now uses these two verses to illustrate the point that is just made. Notice how he starts. The teaching it will spread like gangrene. In other words, it's going to spread quickly. It's going to be attractive. The teaching or will reach what people's itching ears want to hear. But secondly, it will just also be patently wrong. Hymenaeus and Philetus were teaching that the general resurrection of the dead that happens at the second coming of Christ had already happened. They were just wrong. And finally, in doing that, they destroyed the faith of some. Everything that Paul has just cautioned Timothy about, he now illustrates simply and briefly in these two verses. And friends, if it was happening then, it's still happening now. If it was important enough for Paul to caution Timothy about then, it's important enough for us to take notice of now. Verse 19. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with the inscription, The Lord knows who are His, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn from wickedness. Verse 19 forms a bit of a bridge in the paragraph that we're looking at today, in the passage we're looking at today. It, it links the theme that Paul has been developing with the one he's about to introduce in the verses that follow. 
It's given as an encouragement to Timothy to help him remain at peace in the midst of the challenge that he faces as he has to address and deal with these false teachers. Because the Lord knows which people belong to him, Timothy can rest assured that despite their godless teaching, God will bring judgment on them and God will uphold him. This phrase is actually, it's quoted from Numbers chapter 16. That's why this interpretation is so clear. In Numbers chapter 16, it's Korah and his followers, and they're rebelling against Moses and Aaron. And God judges between them, and he sides with Moses and Aaron, and he consumes Korah and his followers. It's a solid foundation on which Timothy can stand. That God, through Paul, has anointed him to the position that he is in, and he can and should rest assured in that fact even in the face of the opposition that he's facing. That's the assurance Paul intends Timothy to get from this. The second part of this foundation that connects the two halves of our passage is an entreaty to true believers to turn away from wickedness. Everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. This is both an encouragement to Timothy and the church he oversees to repent, because this is what the word repent means, to turn away from, to repent from wickedness. In other words, it's a call to righteous living. But it also functions as a standard against which to evaluate those who profess faith. If we profess to know and follow Jesus, then we must repent of our wickedness whenever we become aware of it. This is characteristic of a Christian. It is the practice that is lived out in the life of every true believer. It's the marker against which Timothy can measure those who profess faith and yet espouse and proliferate false teaching. And if their lives are marked by wickedness, he is empowered to call them out and to call them to repentance. These two ideas, Paul says, form an immovable foundation on which the church rests. And it's from this foundation that Paul now launches into the second half of our passage. Verses 20 to 21. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Verses 20 to 21 begin the second half of the passage, and they begin with an illustration. Paul describes a typical rich household in his time, and they would have had different cutlery and crockery for use at different times, different occasions. What's not immediately apparent, but it's certainly... His intent is the object of this metaphor that he shares. The illustration of the house is a metaphor for the church. It's the, the house is a picture of the church. So the division of, of implements within the house is a division of people within the church. And so in this context, it's actually an encouragement for Timothy and the church, not necessarily a judgment against those who are teaching false doctrine. It's a metaphor that both describes reality, but also invites us as Christians to seek after the higher calling. Because we essentially what we discover is that within the church, those who are fully saved, there are those whose lives are ready to be used by the master for honorable work. And there are those who can only be used for dishonorable jobs. Now this has got nothing to do with the perceived status of anyone's gifting within the church. But it has everything to do with the purity of our heart before God. This is the secret to pleasing the master and being used by him for honorable work. Verse 21 then gives us our second response to people espousing these opposing ideas. First, we need to make sure we correctly handle God's word. But secondly, we are to cleanse ourselves from that which is dishonorable. We are to pursue righteousness. And Paul's going to flesh this out in the next two verses. 
Now, this is not earth-shattering new revelation. This is the consistent call on all Christians at all times. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. He said, later on, I call you to be holy. Therefore, as your Father in heaven is holy. Peter called the church and he said, be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Paul says to the Corinthian church, he says, purify your souls from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. The second response that Timothy and we are called to live out as we have to engage with those who are propagating opposing ideas, false teachings, is to do our best to live a holy life. That's the call. That's the response. Verse 22 fleshes it out. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with all those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. I use the ESV version here because it helpfully translates the Greek word epithumia more generally as youthful passions, which is what the context implies. Paul's concern here is not specifically and necessarily sexual fidelity, although it would include that, but he's actually more concerned with those broad character traits and challenges, those impulses that are associated with being young. Pride, arrogance, argumentativeness, the need and the desire for affirmation and for recognition. Actions that are rash, ill-considered, impetuous or selfish. Now, to be sure, those are not exclusively young people's sins, right? All of us can fall into that. But this, these are Paul's primary concerns. They are his concerns because he knows that when we allow these character traits to blossom in us, then we begin to steer into the ungodliness that perpetuates these fruitless and godless arguments and ultimately does damage. So instead, Paul exhorts Timothy, and again he exhorts us by extension, to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Notice how these character traits, when they're working together, they foster unity in the church. They bring us together as a people instead of pushing us apart. Righteousness is the base upon which we stand. When all people in the body live in righteousness, then all dissension disappears. No one's arguing with anyone because we're all in righteousness. Faith gives us the grace to trust God, even when we can't see a way through, when we don't know how you and I at different places are going to be able to move together. Faith gives us the grace to trust God in the midst of that. Love reminds us that above all, we are to love God first, and then we love each other as we love ourselves. It reminds us that we are not fighting against one another, but that we are for one another, that we are united as a body, and we are seeking God's kingdom in this place. And peace overtly calls the church to desist from arguments, to seek reconciliation and understanding with one another so they can stand together in pursuing that which God has called them to. Let's go verses 23 and 24. Again I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant controversies that only start fights. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. Verses 23 to 24 give us our third and final description, both of the opposing ideas in the church and then of the response which Timothy is to live out. This time, the opposing ideas are characterized as foolish and ignorant controversies. They are foolish arguments. In other words, they're unhelpful. They don't actually move anyone towards righteousness. They're ignorant. They literally mean stupid or uneducated. They are arguments that have no basis in fact. And they're just not worth getting waylaid in. 
Finally, they're characterized as controversies. They're, they're a matter over which there's been prolonged speculation, debate, and uncertainty. Getting involved in these kind of arguments, Paul says, just causes people to fight amongst one another. This is an interesting verse for us to consider in the world we live in today, where misinformation is creating all kinds of controversies all over the world. As Christians, I would suggest that we should be very careful about which of these controversies we accept as fact. And we should be even more careful about propagating them. Because as we go down that road, we can breed dissension and we can damage the faith of brothers and sisters in the Lord. And that's the last thing we want to do. What we should do instead is make sure that we know what the scripture teaches. Because that is the only truth that we can be truly sure of. So Paul calls Timothy to his third and final response as he deals with people who are spreading these controversies. He says, Timothy, as you deal with them, don't quarrel. Be kind to everyone. Be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. These four points are so simple, but they are so critical. They are simple descriptors of who a Christian should be. And I promise you, when they are missing, people notice. Non-Christian people notice. And the gospel suffers. So are you a Christian? If you're a Christian, well, here, this is Paul's instruction. It's very simple. Do not quarrel. Don't be a quarrelsome person. Don't be the person that everyone has to walk on eggshells around in case they offend you. Just learn to let things go. Don't blow things out of proportion. Learn, as Paul teaches in the, his letter to the Corinthians, to rather be wronged than always fighting to be right. Remember that relationships are more important than winning. Be kind to everyone, by the way, not just the people you like. Be, be kind, be generous of spirit, assume the best in people, be gracious to others, be nice, be pleasant. People should want to spend time with you because you're nice and kind and pleasant. Be able to teach. For Timothy, he needed to be able to teach at church. He needed to be able to correct false teachers. That's not the same call we all carry. For you and me, we need to know the gospel. We need to know what it means to follow Jesus. We need to be grounded in the basics of the Christian faith so we can help people, others, we can help people to know Jesus more. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, the author says this, and this is something that's really significant. I think it's important for, for us, right, for, for you as non-pastors. Process this. The author says this. He says, in fact, Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you still need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. I want to ask you this question. What qualification does the author say they need in order to be able to teach? He says you should be able to be teachers. You ought to be teachers. Do they need a study Bible? No. Do they need a commentary? No. Do they need a course? No. Do they need a degree? No. Any time. He says, by this time, because you have journeyed with the Lord for long enough, you should be able to teach just the elementary truths of the faith, the simple things about who Jesus is, what he has done. You can help someone else. You can disciple someone else into the elementary truths of the faith because you have walked with Jesus long enough. Be able to teach. Be patient with those who are difficult. People are not projects. They are not equations that can just be altered and fixed. They are complex beings that live within a culture and a history. 
Love is patient. Love is kind. If we truly love one another, we will be patient with those, even those who are difficult. Let's wrap up. Verses 25 and 26. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. This is the epilogue. It's the final conclusion. It sums up that all everything Paul has been saying so long. When we deal with our opponents, i.e. those engaging in opposing ways of thinking, when we deal with them gently, we can have hope that God may grant them grace to repent. And if he does that, they will be able to come to a knowledge of the truth. And in receiving that grace from God, they will escape the devil who's actually held them captive the whole time. So you're not fighting flesh and blood. Remember Paul said that. You're not fighting someone else. You're fighting for someone else. Because the devil has them captive. And they need you to fight on their behalf. That's what the second half of 2 Timothy chapter 2 is all about. It's about engaging with people who have different, who have beliefs that diverge from the truth of the gospel. It's a warning not to get involved in arguments over words, godless chatter, foolish and ignorant controversies. Because those things, they have no value, they ruin the faith of others, they lead to increasing ungodliness in us. And to instead respond by learning to understand the scriptures correctly. By pursuing righteousness above all else. By being kind and gentle in our instructions and our interactions. That's the call of 2 Timothy chapter 2. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for the goodness of your word. I thank you that just as you were with Timothy, you are with us. And I pray for us, Jesus. And I pray and I ask that you would give us grace to be gracious and kind to others. Help us, God, as we grow in our understanding of the Scriptures. Lead us deeper into that. Help us, Lord, to pursue righteousness above all else. I thank you, God, that there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. But, Lord, you call us to righteousness. And I pray, Jesus, that you would call us to even greater degrees of righteousness. That you would train us, Lord, in being kind and gentle in the way in which we instruct and interact with others. Pray for that, Lord. Give us grace, God, in these things so that your gospel will be spoken and would reach into all the ends of the earth. We ask this in your wonderful name, King Jesus. Amen. Friends, thank you so much for being with us. Until next time, have a blessed week. Bye-bye.